Hello, and welcome to the CEO Blind Spot Show, where leaders reveal their blind spots and best practices. I'm your host, Birgit Camps, and today's guest is Derek Fletcher, who's the president of Fletcher Farms, a cattle and poultry operation in Arkansas. In addition, he's a retired HR leader with Pilgrim's Pride Corporation, a professional bull rider, a race car driver for Ed Zinni Racing, author of three books, and a co-founder of a nonprofit called A Heart Like Mine. Welcome to the show, Derek. Thank you, Birgit. It's a pleasure to meet you. And I want to thank Ed and Sue for introducing us. Yes, I'm very grateful I got to know them and that Ed still keeps in touch and that he connected us. So I am curious, having been an HR leader with, I think it's the largest poultry company at the time in the world, tell us a little bit about what others could learn from your successes. Well, thank you for asking. You know, the first thing I would say is just appreciate your people every day. That's so easy to say. Very few supervisors and and management people really know how to do that. I've seen this my whole life. My grandparents raised me part of the time. When I grew up, my father was a career army officer, and he didn't do that for the pay for 30 years. He did that because he was most often recognized by his peers. He was promoted based on his efforts and the results. My philosophy was reinforced in the Air Force when I'm just thriving to be included and to be recognized for my efforts. It wasn't for the pay. So it amazes me how a certificate of commendation or some pretty ribbons to put on your uniform, if you're receiving those from your boss in front of your peers, it can mean as much or even more as money. So I carried this through my life. And as I progressed through the poultry industry for 15 years, I started as a farm supervisor teaching contract growers how to do it the company way. And so my arrival on a farm wasn't always met with great acceptance or enthusiasm. Especially having had your Air Force background, right? (laughs) That's exactly right. So my job then was to create a healthy relationship with each one of those growers that were under my command, if you will. And how did I do that? Well, I didn't know a whole lot about poultry, but I knew a lot about family. I knew how to sit on a porch and have sweet tea and talk about our kids. I knew how to help them get their cows off the road. Uh, If they were sick, I knew how to pitch in for the day and help them out on their chicken farm. And once I earned that credibility, they were more willing to try things the way that I thought would make them a better grower. And so my focus has always been on treating people the way you want to be treated. I know that's easy to say. We've been saying it for decades, but it is difficult to do. Yeah, I've gone from having thousand employees with Pilgrim's Pride to one here on the farm. I have one full-time employee. The rest are contract part-time laborers. Well, actually, I'm very curious about how you manage that because it seems like a lot of companies are now also having to lead contractors. And that seems, I don't know, that seems pretty tough as well. What would you say? You know, I see when when contractors come on the farm, they usually have their own supervisors. I sort of stay out of their way. But when it comes to my employee, for instance, once a week, I work in his stead. It may be a surprise during the week when I do it, or it may be just every Sunday, whatever suits him best. And when I'm working in his stead, I'm thinking about all the things that he may have complained about during the week or things that we could have done better. And it's the best way for me to not only give him some comp time, but for me to keep him in tune with that job that he's doing every day. And so not only am I earning that respect from him, but I'm helping him have the tools, help him do his job better. Wow. Didn't cost me me a dime. And so then how would you apply that principle if you have 40,000 employees? Great question. I used to tell all my supervisors that if you've got 12 or even 20 people 
in your group, there's no reason why every week you couldn't be paying attention to somebody a little more than usual or find a way to, to pay more attention to everyone, whether it be a, for a cookout or a day out at the park, or maybe you jump in and do their job for a while and give them an extra break and just make sure you apply those policy evenly. But mm -hmm. it earns respect for you among the employees and it lets them know that you're still in the game. You're not locked away in your air-conditioned office with the big window. Yeah. So I can see that's a being in their shoes would certainly help mm -hmm. connect with them. And these days, retaining top talent is, is also very critical. How did you manage to do that? Another great question. You know, the, big, the biggest challenge for me as an HR leader, especially in the poultry industry, which is so labor intensive, mm -hmm. poultry industry is run by accountants. And they're looking at volume, they're looking at numbers, and oftentimes people are an afterthought. Mm -hmm. And not only does it take lots of people to run a poultry operation, but a lot of those people are skilled people, people that you've had to train and raise up as a company on your own. But for a company in an industry that is run by accountants and people being the last part of the equation, you have to come to the table and show the bean counters, the numbers and the payback on investment by retaining these skilled workers. Once you hire them, you've got to work continuously to keep your employees engaged and invested in what you're all doing together. And they have to have that feeling. So it comes down to a whole lot more than just money and benefits. And that's another thing I would say is absent of the COVID restrictions, there is no substitute for that FaceTime that I get with my employees every morning, whether it be somebody who works directly for me or somebody who works for the contractor, we're still going to have our safety meeting and we're still going to talk about the goals for the day. And yeah. they're, going to, they're going to hear that from me directly. Yeah. So I can see all the successes you've had there. And then you retired, but then you continued to succeed in many different areas. So race cart driving, bull riding, and then co-founding this, this nonprofit. What did you ever struggle with leading people? I think when I was a child watching my grandfather lead people at Fort Polk Army Base in Louisiana, it just seemed like the role that I was supposed to play. But I thought that I, I could find better ways to do it. And instead of strong arming people into doing what I want them to do or doing it because I'm paying you to do it, I would rather us tackle this thing together and let's get it done that way and have some fun. You mentioned the nonprofit. Four years ago, our daughter Annabelle was born with hypoplastic left heart syndrome, which basically means the left side of her heart did not form. And so obviously our lives changed at that time and have changed ever since. We looked for ways to help other families who are going through the same thing with their children that maybe weren't as fortunate as us. We had somebody working for us running the farm we had two sons who could step in. We had a rather large support group. I cannot imagine, and neither can Stephanie, my wife, who's the CEO of a Heart Like Mine Foundation. We cannot imagine going through that alone. And yet there are single parents working hourly jobs who are at the hospital for 60, 90, 120 days, sometimes longer with their sick child. Yeah, they could draw food stamps and unemployment and, and all that, but it's not enough to pay for things like gasoline and tires for their car, or just making sure that their children get the right treatment at home, things like that, that we can help with. And we started that foundation about three years ago, and we use car racing and social media, among other things, to bring awareness 
to CHD, which is congenital heart defect. And we try to raise money to help families affected by CHD. Is that why you started racing? I've always had racing in my blood. That's how Ed's know each other. And this was just a way that I could do what I like to do and still have a reason and a purpose for being out there. And the C8 Corvette that we drive is it's, it's a beautiful livery. When we show up at the track, it gets lots of attention. And sooner or later, they're going to see that a heart like mine foundation decal. And we're going to talk about it. And that's the whole idea. That's the whole idea for us to race. Oftentimes profit isn't even in on my mind. So I find that the more I live my life that way, the more great things happen for me. And it truly is a wonderful kind of karma that I've been seeing for the last 30 or 35 years. So it sounds like you were born and you immediately became successful. Did you struggle with anything in life? Well, there were a lot of things that I dreamt about that didn't come true. I wanted to be a world champion bull rider. I had to settle for a tri-state championship. I would love to be racing the Indy 500, but I know that that my opportunities and my skill level just aren't going to take me there. So Mm -hmm. I hate to say that I settle, but we, I certainly like to focus on goals that are attainable for me. Mm -hmm. And I, I guess you could say I'm sort of a Renaissance guy. I'd rather do a lot of things pretty well than just focus on one thing and try to be great and miss the mark. Yeah. How much did your upbringing have to do with your success versus finding mentors? Wow. What a great question. Yeah, I grew up product of a divorce and I spent a lot of time with my grandparents and my great grandparents who were Great Depression era, World War II generation folks. Grew up canning vegetables, you know, and things like that, hunting and fishing, taking care of what you had. You bought a lawnmower, you expected it to last forever. So I kind of grew up that way with a different perspective than a lot of my peers. And I found out in the Air Force, for instance, that that really gave me a leg up on the competition. And that would be the people that I might be competing against for a leadership spot because I could put in the extra work and I could sort of get along with the people in leadership who are generally older than me, which I was used to. And I just carried that through with everything I've ever done. Well, it sounds to me like you know how to turn everything in life into a positive, which I think is another one of your success principles. So what surprised you about people? What surprises me most about people these days is their generosity, their willingness to help, whether it be that person who's stalled out on the side of the road and needs their tire changed. Somebody is going to help. That's probably going to be me. It's probably going to be somebody that I know I try to hang out with people who are doers, people who are helpers. We support our employee who's a volunteer fireman and a first responder. Whatever time he needs off from work to do that, I'll pitch in and and take his shift. So. What surprises me most about people as I got older was just that how willing to help people are if they believe in the cause, if they believe in the message, whether that be a nonprofit or your for-profit business, if they believe in the goal and if they get to share in the information, the communication, if they get to share in the success in some way every day, a little bit every day, and it's an enjoyable place to go, which by the way, you as, as the owner of the business or the leader of that business, that's your responsibility to make sure that people are enjoying their day. And there's nothing more labor intensive than the business I'm in. It's very difficult to keep people motivated, but it is possible. And yeah. it usually means rolling up your sleeves and getting out there and doing the same thing. Wow. Well, Derek, thanks for sharing. And I appreciate you taking the time to contribute to other leaders. And there's leaders who've not necessarily faced 
crisis, personal or professional, the way you have. Any last minute tip you have before we wrap up? Fine. Appreciate it. Find with our Annabelle being ill and, and it's probably not ever really going to get better. We have to find a way to distract ourselves from that awfully sad news. And we just yeah. have to every day and try to help other people in ways that are meaningful to them. I know we do it as really as a pleasant distraction from our own problems. So if you're out there and you're facing issues, uh, whether it be at home or in the workplace, sometimes it just helps to help other people and you'll find a lot out about yourself in doing so. And I want to thank you for letting me talk about Heart Like Mind Foundation and anybody who wants to seek more about that and, and help kids and families, if you'd log on to teamannabelle.org. We'll you can put read that all in, about it. Yeah, we'll definitely put that in the description as well. Okay, thank you. And I appreciate you and your wife for what you do there. I, I think I even read on the website that very few people realize that there's more children with congenital heart congenital. defects than cancer. Right. And oh, there's so much that we know now. Obviously, we didn't know before Annabelle was born. It just, it helps to keep us engaged because it really is an information campaign for us. We want to make people aware of not only the statistics, but what kids go through every day, you know, and their families. It's really, really tough on a lot of people and we can help. Yes. Well, again, thank you for being on the show and sharing the way you do. And what a great tip to, through times of crisis, focus on helping someone else. Well, thank you. Thank you very much for having me.